Alice Youngblood, who is the managing editor for the report that I'm about to share with you, said this. Over and over, this study speaks to the enduring impact of mothers in conversation, companionship, discipline, and importantly, spiritual development. And though mothers appear to rise to many demands of parenthood, that doesn't mean it's easy. Ladies, thank you for your faithfulness and your leadership. You probably don't know as much as I do how many churches across the land would not be in existence. Oh, I'm not saying the church isn't going to prevail. Jesus said it would. I'm talking about local congregations. And you don't know how many local congregations would have failed through the years if it hadn't have been for faithful women. I know of one congregation not far from here in Illinois that at one time only had one man attending for a period of about six years for multiple reasons. The church kept the doors open. And I don't know how many families would have no spiritual foundation if it wasn't for a Christian mother and I. Now, interestingly, the statistics indicate that if a man will step up and be the spiritual leader in his household, there is a much greater percentage that all of the kids will follow along. But the fact remains that women have jumped up and filled that role and have been the examples that God needed. Here's what the study showed. Over 2,500 teenagers were interviewed. Here's what they said about the presence of their mom in the home. In terms of who was most important in terms of being a partner with them in prayer, their mom, 63%. 70% said that their mother had the most conversations with them about God. 71% said their mother had the most conversations without, with them about the Bible. And 72% said that their mothers had the most conversations with them about other matters of faith. Don't think for a minute, ladies, that your role is not important. We just experienced the birth of a new grandbaby. And that whole issue of bonding, that early bonding that starts to take place, they have said that the baby when it's born even will react in special ways 
when it hears the mother's voice and if the father is willing to do it and get right down there next to the belly and talk to the baby, they even respond in positive ways to the father's voice. Bonding. Bonding. And my message today is called Living Up to the Example. The text comes from Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 13. And I'm going to do it just a little different today. I'm going to go back to something I haven't done in a long time. And that's in the sense of just reading it right out of the Word instead of off the screen. We have Bibles. I would encourage you to pick up a Bible, get your own. Go to Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 13. Here's how Paul begins. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. For the first time in Romans, Paul identifies this group of people by name and at the same time, he identifies himself with them. We. And what is the responsibility that strong Christians have toward the weak? If you consider yourself a strong Christian, and let me warn you, the Bible says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. But if you do consider one of uh, yourself to be one of those that Paul might have been talking to in terms of the strong, notice what he says. You have an obligation. And the obligation is a responsibility to those who are weak. The strong ought to bear with the failings, literally the weaknesses. And, you know, that's, that's not what we're inclined to do. We are inclined by nature, when we are strong, to, to wield our strength to, to discard or crush the weak who are around us. Paul urges those who are strong to, to bear with them. The Greek word that he uses here that gets translated bear, it can mean either to endure or to tolerate, but it can also mean to carry and support. And, and I believe within the context of what he's saying, it's the latter meaning that he's talking about. And he notice what he says. Not to please ourselves. You know, I'm probably beginning to sound like a broken record, but Paul has continually been reminding us through Romans that even though to be self-centered and self-seeking is the way to go in our fallen world, Paul says we shouldn't use our strength 
to serve our own advantage. I heard somebody once say, if you don't toot your own horn, nobody's going to toot it for you. I responded on Facebook to a friend of mine. I did it privately as a personal message. But I said to him, seriously, don't you think you can find somebody else? I mean, you could have asked me to share the book that you've written. Because it is a good book. Instead of proclaiming your own book that you've written as a really good tool that's now out there and available. Tooting our own horns. It's really not all about me, myself, and I. As Paul has been arguing, Christians with a strong conscience must not trample on the consciences of the weak. Instead, verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Neighbor pleasing. And, and Scripture commands neighbor pleasing. And now don't confuse that with being a people pleaser. Scripture condemns that. I don't think there's anybody who hasn't at one point or another said something disparagingly, something negative about somebody who happens to be a brown noser. That person who's always trying to get in good with the boss or the teacher. It's like, chill out, dude. And in this pejorative sense of seeking to be people pleasers, usually that's in antithesis. It's in contrast to pleasing God. It means to flatter people to gain favor. It means to win their approval by sometimes unprincipled compromise. And it always is incompatible with integrity and sincerity. <coughs> you know, let's go back to chapter four, 14 for a second. Instead of causing people to stumble, three times, verse 13, verse 20, verse 21, Instead of causing people to, to, instead of tearing people down, verse 20 of chapter 14, instead of damaging other people, verse 15 of chapter 14, we're to be building them up. You see, edification, you'll find that word in your translations in Paul's writings. Edification is a constructive alternative to demolition. You find an old house that somebody wants to keep, what do they do? They usually gut it to get out all that's not good. But then they also usually go in and reinforce it in some way. We watched that right down the street here. Had a corner across from us. A guy bought that little house. He came in 
and poured a complete concrete floor underneath the house where there wasn't a basement. It was just, but he did the whole thing right up to the walls to help secure the foundation. He put a big slab down there and put a beam right up through one of the rooms to secure the upstairs. Totally restructured that home on the inside. Building up. Edifying. When I was studying to be a teacher, they said you can't believe the positive value of a good word. But you also can't believe the destructive value of a bad word. And it takes seven, seven good things to overcome one bad thing. But notice the reason Paul gives. I'm sorry, I'm a little behind here, aren't I? He says the reason is that Christ didn't please Himself. For Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The cross. Painfully tortured. Painfully punished. Mocked. You know, I, I'm sorry, I gotta admit it. If I'd have been up on the cross and those people down there would have been throwing all those things at me. It would have been hard for me not to say, your mama, to use a, one of the phrases that I heard so much when I was teaching school from kids to other kids. It would have been so hard not to have done something back. Mike, all of a sudden, within his divine power, gone. Okay. And then the person goes. <laughs> Can't talk. He took care of it. It's happening. But Paul tells us when he experienced reproach, he didn't reproach back. Is that what we're inclined to do? You see, we've heard an obligation. We've been told about the example we have in Christ. But notice where he goes on from there. He gives us a source. You want a source? I don't want any sources, man. I am so tired of sources. I showed Anna and Cole last night. Uh, my bibliography is already like five pages. There were 189 footnotes uh, in my paper. Because we, we want sources to, to confirm stuff. And, and He gives us a source. This is Jesus. 
through Paul. Inspiration. Verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Are you a person of the book? Because if you are not, you are losing out on the number one resource for abundant living. I don't care how many aisles and how many books there are in the self-help sections. You know why there are so many aisles and so many books? Because people aren't using the book. Seventy years old. In the ministry since I was 18. I've been asked a lot of times, well, what do you think about? And my first response is, is, well, what's the Bible say? Because it really doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. Especially if it contradicts the Word of God. And he says, we've been given the Scriptures. You know, he just quoted... Psalm 69.9. And, and he can't help but talk about the nature and the purpose of the Old Testament Scriptures. For everything that was written, he says. First, in terms of Paul's crowd, his readers, the Scripture they had was the Old Testament. But having quoted that verse, he goes on to say everything is written. And his application of, of Psalm 69 to Christ is a fine example of how the risen Lord Himself. The risen Lord Himself. Yeah. Go to Luke, the end of Luke. Two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. He doesn't say to them, like he did to Thomas, by the way, he doesn't say to them, hey, look here at my hands. Look here at my side. No. He walks on with them. He, he's walking as if he's just going to continue walking and they invite him to stay and so he comes back and stays with them. They've already explained how they're so unhappy because the one they thought to be the Messiah had been crucified. They even know that the tomb had been found empty. Go read it. It's a really neat account. And it says that Jesus went through the Scriptures. Moses, the prophets, and showed them everything 
as to why the Messiah had to suffer. The Old Testament. Jesus used the Old Testament to point to Himself. Interesting, oh, they still didn't recognize Him. You remember? After that conversation, they invited Him to sit down and eat. I love it. I love it. It said that He took the bread and He broke it and blessed it. And their eyes were open. It was in the breaking of bread that the reality of who Jesus was was brought home to. Don't try to tell me communion isn't important. So where does our text go from there? And I'm not reading all the 13 verses, by the way. Mostly because verses 8 to 13 are just a litany of Old Testament passages that Paul quotes. All to emphasize my last point. Where does he go from there? He issues a call. Starting with verse 8. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You've heard me say it before. I will say it again. The most detrimental thing to the cause of Christ in terms of reaching lost people are churches that are divided, that are fighting against one another, that are talking negative against each other, who are doing it not only in-house, but publicly. When we fight amongst ourselves, we don't have to worry about the lost coming in. They won't want to be a part of it. The call is to live in harmony. It's a benediction. It's a prayer that Paul is giving. Father, please, please let the church wake up. Let them understand that we've got to be together. What was Jesus' prayer? I'm not talking about the model prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm talking about His prayer in John. That they will be one even as you and I are one. You feel like you're divided from somebody in the family of God? You need to get it worked out. Because Jesus' prayer was that we'll be one even as He and the Father were one. 
Our unity is not based on feelings, opinions. It's based on our relationship to Jesus Christ. And if you are having problems with other people in the body of Christ, you are having problems with Jesus Christ. Because we as a church are the body of Christ. My mom... She wasn't the best. Oh, she was the best mom. But she wasn't the best in terms of accepting people. She could have been better. She knew it. She knew that she had a weakness, mostly in dealing with people who were struggling with alcohol. And she knew where it came from. My grandfather was an alcoholic and he was a mean, abusive alcoholic. And if mom was sitting here in church and one of you started talking that she didn't know and you started talking about your struggles with alcohol, bless her heart, she probably would have gotten up, made an excuse, she needed to go to the bathroom or something. And when she came back, she'd have found somewhere else to sit. Because of pain. She could have sat down by somebody else and started telling her about how one time they got involved and they murdered somebody but they went to prison, they did 20 years they found the Lord, they came out and everything's better and she'd just sit there and listen to the story listen to the testimony she had a warm welcoming heart but that heart had been torn it's time for us to wake up and smell the coffee How would we as a church if Barna and his group came to town and asked our neighbors the questions that those teens were asked? How would we fare? Would people say, oh yeah. 70% of the people would say, yeah, you know, that church is the church that talks to me the most openly about who God is and His love. They're the ones who pray with me the most. Don't fool yourselves. We're completing our sixth year of living here starting the seventh. And I've heard way too many stories, more stories than I wanted to hear. Stories that at times have broke my heart. So here's the challenge that I want to leave to, with you today. Let's be the bride. Let's be the bride of Christ. And in doing so, Let's allow the God of hope to fill us with all joy and peace in believing faith so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound in hope. 
It's right out of this passage, by the way. And look at the words that he uses. Hope, joy, peace, faith. Hope again. Do I have to tell you that there are people right here in Brook and around who are struggling with having hope? We had a young lady come in this week just needing a little help. Kay went with her to do some of it. I talked with her a little bit. If she comes back, she was encouraged to come back this week to help get things set up for her transfer of moving here to town. She won't have to pay anything. There's been money provided so that whatever she takes is covered. But you could see the struggles on her face. You could hear it in some of the stories that she shared with, with Kay that Kay then shared with me. We have ample opportunity to get up off these pews, get out of this building, and start telling people in this community that there is hope. That there is a positive reason for living a life of love. But don't do that. And then let them see you tearing somebody down. Or criticizing somebody. Or grumbling. Do you know that grumbling is listed more than once in the Bible as a sin? And yet it's so common that my dad used to sing when he'd hear people grumble. Oh, they grumble on Monday, grumble on Tuesday, grumble on Wednesday too, grumble on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, grumble the whole week through. I can still hear him singing that. Did you ever hear him sing it, Jesse? Let's, let's work hard at this, folks. Let's pray. Father God, Paul has reminded us that we have an example in Jesus. We have a source book in the Bible. And for those of us especially who might think we're strong, we have an obligation. Help us to follow that example. To understand and read that source book. And to hear the call to give hope to those who are hopeless. To show love to those who are struggling with feeling love. And a good place to start, Father, is help us to just find a way to give clothing to those who are struggling to meet the everyday needs of life. Thank you again for our mothers who have been so gracious in providing for us, for those who sacrificed and moved outside the home to work, to help, for those who desired a career and sacrificed and stayed in the home to raise their kids. Help us to not 
be judgmental either way, but to try to understand. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.